0: The title for you this morning is Generations of Faith, Generations of Faith. Families are made up of real people, people of a variety of ages, some older, some younger, each of whom contributes somehow to the family at large. If each and every member is healthy, then their contribution is significant. And therefore, the family at large is healthy. But if a family member isn't healthy, then their contribution or lack thereof becomes detrimental. And what we have as a consequence is a dysfunctional family. Here's my point. A church is comprised of family members. And those family members are different maturity levels and different generations. While these two things don't necessarily work in tandem, maturity levels and ages, as family members, it behooves us to be the best version of ourselves in Christ that we can be. Because the best version of ourselves in Christ that we can be inevitably provides a blessing and an assurance to the overall health in the family of Christ. I want to talk to you this morning by way of two simple points. A new commandment and a new family dynamic. The first is this, the new commandment. This is found in verses 7 through 11. If you'll read it again with your eyes as I read aloud, it says, Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old one that you heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've already heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. He walks in the darkness. He doesn't know where he is because the darkness has what? Blinded his eyes. I want to talk to you this morning about this new commandment John mentions starting in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. We're picking up today where the conversation ended last week, namely, that after the atonement, which is the forgiveness of sins and the removal of God's wrath from his people, which is the word propitiation, remember that? There is subsequently obedience. Atonement, obedience. In other words, We are saved from sin. We're not saved for sin. Amen? Amen. Here, John continues his ethics teaching, and although it mirrors much of what he has already said so far, there are a few things that are worthy of note. First, in verse 7, John begins with another term of endearment. John says, Beloved. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, my little children. Chapter 2, verse 7, beloved, at least in the ESV. If you're using an NIV, then you'll notice that it doesn't say beloved. It says, my dear children. Not a good translation. I think that they're probably translating it that way because he's about to talk about the familial aspects of of the church in the next subsequent verses. So they go, it's kind of a family thing, so let's put it as my dear children. But the best translation is the translation beloved one. It's the right choice. In this case, John isn't speaking down to his people. He's telling them that they're loved, that they're special, and that they're valuable to them. He is saying, in essence, loved ones. Then he discusses this commandment, one that he says is old, in verse 6, but then again, in verse 8, he says, but it's new. (laughs) So it's a little confusing to follow at first. If you look at it, he says, at the same time, in verse 8, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true uh, true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the light is already shining. I don't think John is sending a mixed message here. I think what John is reminding these Christians of, this old commandment, That is, it's not new. He's reminding them that Jesus has come when the light is already shining. That's what that reference means. And in that sense, the old commandment has taken on a kind of newness. The teaching, namely, that a life of atonement is a life of righteousness and obedience in life. You with me so far? Yeah? He's saying it isn't a new thing, but there's a sense in which it is a new thing because the light is already shining. Whereas before, the commandment was present, but Jesus hadn't come yet. So it's an old commandment, but in a sense, it's a new one. It's new in the fact that it's being fulfilled in the way it wasn't previously. You and I, we may grow up hearing God's wisdom, but that wisdom really doesn't play a significant part in our life until our faith is placed in Jesus, right? Then all of a sudden, God's wisdom becomes fresh to us. I can't tell you how often people say later in their life, I remember the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, not because I was a Christian when I was growing up, but because my parents pounded it into me. Now, as a Christian, it means something to me. I think that's what John is saying. I think John is saying, I'm going to write to you something that was written a long time ago, but it's got kind of a new twist on it now, because Jesus has come. The darkness has been held back at bay, and the light is already shining. Verse 9, John ties light and darkness together in regards to the love of the brotherhood. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, well, that guy's still in darkness, John says. He continues, John does, to reintroduce the boundaries of Christian ethics, and has been his style so far in the first chapter, he continues to do so by juxtaposing things. Truth, lie. Light, guess what? Darkness. If we say one thing and do another, John is saying we're hypocrites, and we're liars, and the truth is not in us. This is what John's established Thus far, if we believe something, if we really believe it in our minds and in our souls, then that belief should be reflected in the life that we live. Leading us into our second point, the new family dynamic, is this brief discussion about loving one's brother. He says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother, get this, is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't even know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's an unawareness, an ignorance that comes from living in the dark. Those who are in the dark cannot see the fact that they're overcome by it. They think that they can see, but they can't. The darkness has polluted and adjusted everything for them. Jesus himself once said that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So they recoil and they hide in the darkness. Darkness isn't simply something that our poor decisions lands us into. Darkness is something that, once we find ourselves in it, does not easily let us go. This is the doom of the non-Christian world, that they are in the dark and are so enveloped by it that they don't even know. Paul once wrote these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Sometimes, friends, we come into contact with people and we share things with them, gospel truth, biblical truth, and they go, oh, that's ridiculous, I don't want to believe it. It's because they're in the dark. It's kind of rude, and it doesn't matter whether it's rude or not, this is biblical truth. Biblical truth is not that there are shadows, church. You're either in the light Or you're in the dark you're either in the dark or you're in the light now if you're in the light john is saying you can't say you're in the light but live in the dark that doesn't jive if you say you live in the light and you hate your brother and you fail to be obedient to the commands of the father well then you're a hypocrite people who say they are in the light demonstrate that fact by living in the light and part of living in the light is having a love or your family. John says, you can't say I live in the light and hate your brother. If that's the case, you're still in the dark. There's a lot of hate going around these days. I don't know if you've noticed. And some of it has to do with the sheer, plain fact that the world is so enveloped by darkness, it can no longer determine right from wrong. It doesn't matter, in fact, if it's right or wrong. All that matters is what they can do to you in public. John is not concerned with the public opinion. What John says is, you're either in the light and living so, or you're in the dark and living so. This leads to our new family dynamic. We've got this new command so to speak not new in the sense that it's a new commandment but new in the sense that jesus has come and his light is already shining in the world now that we've got a sort of fresh understanding of that truth in view of the fact that jesus has come and resurrected from the dead now we've got a new family dynamic as well this is found in verses 13 14 and 15 look at it with your eyes if you would It says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, secondly, let's observe what I'm calling this new family dynamic. The Bible sometimes refers to the people of faith, those who have trusted Christ, regardless of who they were or where they came from, as as their Lord and as their Savior, as family, We're family. doesn't matter where we're from, where we're going, who our parents are, what continent we live on, those who are in China, those who are in Germany, those who are in Canada, those who are in South America, whether I know them or not, if they're in Christ, they are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and in eternity, we will see each other in heaven. A couple of points I want to share with you here. If we're Christians by virtue of faith, we're all called children of Abraham. Interesting enough. We're all called children of Abraham if we're people of faith. Another point worth noting is this. Paul refers to the church as the household of faith in Galatians 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. The household of faith. Jesus was once once asked about his family. And, and, And when they asked him about his family, Jesus pointed at his disciples and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers because whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. When Peter asked Jesus the very pointed question, what are we going to do? We've left everything to follow you. Jesus said that no one who leaves anything for me will be left without, but instead will have added to them a hundredfold brothers and sisters too. You see, it doesn't matter whether you're fatherless. When you come into the family of God, you suddenly have a ton of fathers doesn't matter whether you're motherless. Once you come into the family of God, you've got a ton of mothers. doesn't matter whether you grow up as a single child or from a broken family that has lost contact with siblings. When you come into the family of God, the household of faith, you've got a ton of brothers and sisters. But if we don't live the way that God has called us to live, then we're functioning like a dysfunctional family. And those fathers, those mothers, those brothers and sisters aren't meeting the needs that they are called by God to meet. And that's what John is addressing here today. I'm writing to you children. I'm writing to you young men. I'm writing to you fathers. Essentially, while John is being a bit repetitive in these verses here, making a statement and then restating it, what we see is essentially this. John is writing to three groups that he calls children, young men, and fathers. So I'd like to break these down and address these three groups as John refers to them without necessarily going line by line. So if you're ready, say amen. Amen. First of all, John addresses children. First of all, John addresses children. And judging by what he says, we can conclude that children is what John uses to refer to those who are young Christians in the church. Young Christians in the family of faith. He says to them, if you want to look at verse 12 and then at the end of verse 13, he says to them, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. This is basic Christianity, church. He's saying to them, I write to you, children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. This is basic Christianity. Christianity, the forgiveness of sins. And what's more, this is in the perfect tense, which means that John is saying that they have been forgiven, but the forgiveness that was given to them remains forever. At the end of verse 13, John adds that the children are not only forgiven, but that they know the Father. And why wouldn't they? These children are his. Amen? Newborn Christians should know two things. They should know that they are forgiven, now and forevermore, and they should know that God is their father. That's the basics of Christianity. But let me pastor you here for a moment if you find yourself being one of these children in the faith, one of these young people in the faith, don't assume that you'll be like the great Christians that you hear about in the Bible or elsewhere if you're not willing to invest what they invested to achieve their strength and maturity. No one trips and falls into greatness, church. Greatness and success In every aspect of life, including Christianity, greatness and success are achieved, not received. And they're achieved through the regular accomplishment of small things. If you want to grow in your faith, and you should. If you want to mature in your relationship with God, and you should. Then do small things well, regularly. You don't need to memorize Burkhoff's systematic theology. You don't need to wear holes in your jeans because you pray so much. But what you do need to do is read your Bible consistently. What you do need to do, young people in the faith, is pray regularly. If you're praying regularly, if you're reading your Bible regularly, you're doing what you need to do. What you do need to do is come to church regularly. Young Christians, listen to me, what you need to do is do the small things well regularly. Uh, secondly, John addresses young men. Secondly, John addresses young men. I think the Good News Bible has it, has it right when he translates it young people. Young people. John isn't specifically referring to young men. He's referring generically to everyone, as if we would sometimes say, Listen, guys, we're not speaking specifically to guys, we're speaking to everyone. Here, John is saying young men, but as the Good News Bible translates it, I think rightly, he says, Young people. This would be a reference to those who are growing and maturing, those who are beyond the childhood faith. He says to them, If you want to look at the text, he says, you have overcome the evil one. And then in verse 14, he says, you are strong, the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. A couple of things stand out immediately when young people are compared to the children in the faith. For one, the children haven't overcome anything yet. Right? We don't get any indication that these children in the faith have overcome anything. They're forgiven, and God is their father. But now with this young group, these young people, there's a little more experience, a little more maturity. They have fought and won some battles. They're working hard to pass mile markers of faith on their journey with Jesus. They're scratching and they're clawing for their spiritual progress. I want to stop here for a moment and speak to you young people in the faith. When it comes to your spiritual life, say amen if you're listening, you got to show up. you got to show up and you got to put the work in. You have to exercise your faith. There are those who are hoping for your failure. The enemy is prowling around. He's rooting for your failure. But for some of you, he's barely even in the equation because you've already been made spiritually powerless for Christ by your video games and your cell phones and the pornography on your laptops. You're distracted, you're depressed, and you're disinterested, but you can't figure out why you're a wimp for Christ. Or you want to lift weights, but you never want to show up to God's gym. You want to say you've achieved something, but you don't want to walk. That you've gotten somewhere, but you don't want to hike. What John is saying is that these young people, they've beaten the devil, man. They've overcome the evil one. The word of God abides in them. That means they know the word. These are not children. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. No, they know how to pray. They know their Bible, and they've been in battles against darkness. And what's more, they've won. They've been successful. So many things, for some of you, have your attention that God never has your attention. So many things are monopolizing your energy that you have no energy left for God. You're always tired. You're always busy. I'll just tell you plainly you're just acting like a punk. You want somebody to scratch your back and make you feel better about your laziness, your discontentment? This ain't the place. The scripture says you must wrestle. The scripture says you must fight. The scripture says, Paul uses the word agonizomai. You've got to agonize. You've got to press. You've got to work. If you lay down and play dead, not only are you not pushing back the darkness, but you're not even in the game. We're back to this issue, guys. Of trying to find comfort everywhere all the time. If you want to be in this generation of spirituality, you got to do some things. I'm gonna rattle it off for you. You can write them down if you're interested. If you feel lazy, tired, disinterested, you're still a child. You don't have to write down these things. It's entirely up to you. You are who you are. God knows. Number one, Prioritize your faith. Growing people grow because they prioritize their growth. Growing people grow because they prioritize their growth. It takes precedence over everything else. Number two. If you want to grow, if you want to be in this department, this category, reading the Bible needs to become studying the Bible. Reading the Bible needs to become studying the Bible. Reading the Bible is great. That's what the children do. We got kids here every single Wednesday night, memorize Bible verses. Next Wednesday comes, they memorize another Bible verse. That's not going to get you where you need to go. That's not, that's not gonna get you through your marital problems. That's not gonna get you through your parental problems. That's not gonna get you through your battle with sin. Memorizing scripture is absolutely important. It's an ingredient of spiritual growth, but you've gotta get from that point where you just memorize a verse, or just know John three sixteen to spending time in the word. Reading has to become studying. Next. You've got to go from praying in general and for only your needs to praying specifics and praying intercessory prayers. In other words, when you go into prayer, it's good that you pray. Father, I have this need, this sickness, this ailment. I need to meet this bill. Heal me of this. Provide me peace, et cetera, et cetera. All that. There's nothing wrong with praying to God about your issues. Nothing wrong at all. But you know that's what children do. Children are only ever concerned with their own issues. If that's your prayer life, you're a child. If you're growing, you will know, one indicator will be that when you pray, you're not just praying for yourself. You go to prayer with the purpose of lifting up other people. You want to know some real maturity? Say amen. When Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. You know why you have such a problem with that? because you don't even pray for the people you love. That can't be right. Yeah, that's right. It's scripture. When Jesus says to pray for those who persecute you, he's, he's expecting that you're praying for yourself, and you're praying for those who you love and who love you, but he expects you to go another step further and even pray for your enemies. Here's another thing. Listening to sermons or Bible studies needs to become taking notes and journaling. We have nobody in this church that's going to MIT this fall. Nobody. You should be taking notes, whether it's on your phone, on that notepad, whatever the case might be. Finally, do what must be done to achieve maturity in Christ. If you resolve to become mature in Christ, nothing can compromise your conviction. You must do what must be done. There are people who can help you. There are people who can assist you. There are people who can motivate you. But at the end of the day, you have to do it for you. You cannot get mature in Christ through your mom. You cannot get mature in Christ through your dad. You can't even get mature in Christ through me if you won't do those things that are prescribed. Amen? We can lead the horse to water. Thank you. This is so important to me that I'm starting something beginning in January for men on Wednesdays at 6 a.m. called the Holy Huddle. It's going to be every Wednesday at 6 a.m. We're going to take this opportunity to work on ourselves for the glory of the King, to sharpen our skills as men of God, to study the deeper things of God so that our manhood will reflect that of our Savior. If you're 18 and you want to come, that's fine. If you're 60 and you want to come, that's fine. This holy huddle will come with a contract. If you find it uncomfortable signing a contract so that you're accountable to me and I'm accountable to you, this holy huddle is not for you. You're still a child. If you want to grow up and you want to start lifting, spiritually speaking, if you want to grow up and get past the infancy of Christianity, consider this. It's going to be every Wednesday at 6 a.m., Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29 says this. The glory of young men is their strength. The shame in 2021 is that nobody knows what a man is anymore. It used to be that we could say things like, show yourself a man. Nobody even knows what that means anymore. But the same is true of women. Or young ladies, act like a lady. Well, what does that mean? I mean, if you turn on Netflix and you look at Instagram, acting like a lady means softcore porn. By the way, nobody wants that. I'll just speak to you. I'm a father of daughters, and there's plenty of women in my church. I'm a man. Let me just tell you, nobody wants that from you. There's nothing more attractive to a man than a woman of God, a woman of conviction. Peter says there's something about a, the beauty that shines from the inside out. That's what Peter says. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting dressed up, nothing wrong with makeup, there's nothing wrong with earrings, there's nothing wrong with those things. Guys, there's nothing wrong with going to the gym and changing your sneakers. They've had a hole for a long time. Buy new shoes. There's nothing wrong with those things. But at the end of the day, your value is not determined by whether or not you have Gucci shoes. Your value is determined by your maturity in Christ. And John is saying, are you a child in Christ, or are you a young person in Christ? I believe... That for the majority of people who find themselves here in this position, this season of strength, one of the greatest challenges is that it's lonely. There aren't a lot of Christians, man, who are ready to throw down for the Lord and fight the fights that need to be fought. John speaks to young people. Finally, John speaks to fathers. And we might even say in this regard that he's talking to spiritual parents, moms and dads. To the fathers, John says, you know him who is from when? Oh, I'll give you a second. I've been talking to you. You've been focusing. You know him who is from when? When? From the beginning, which is to say, you have had a long relationship with God. You aren't only forgiven, and you don't only know the Father, like the children in the faith. And you haven't only won some battles, like the young people in the faith. But you've got history, man. You've got stories, You've got experiences. You've seen God's work. You've seen him answer prayers. Amen? You've seen him win souls because you've been with him that long. John says, since the beginning. Some of you have been on missions trips. Some of you have seen God work miracles. Some of you have seen great things from the Lord because you've been with him that long. You've won plenty of battles and you intimately know him your father or mother in the faith. I think it's for reasons like this that Leviticus 19:32 says you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. What happened to opening the door for women? What happening to standing up and shaking firmly the hand of another man and looking him in the eyes to tell him that you know who you are and you're not, you're not intimidated by him? You know when people hand and they do the fish, the dead fish? People don't teach their sons how to shake hands anymore, Al? But ladies, same thing. How you present yourself matters. Do you present yourself like someone who is lacking confidence, or do you present yourself like somebody who knows who they are and is not intimidated by the person they're meeting? Leviticus 19.32 is teaching us we should show respect where respect is due, and respect is due to our spiritual parents. This church in 2021 is where it is because in 1957, and then 20 years after that, and 20 years after that, and 20 years after that, people held it together. And I can tell you something because I'm a college professor and I work with 20 year olds all the time. It wasn't held together by the 20 year olds. The 20 year olds can't hold themselves together. This church has been held together by the glue of old saints. This church has been held together by people who do what is right because you do what is right, not because it feels one way or another. But having said that, hear me out, old saints. While it's important to have those stories and while it's important to have those experiences, it's also important that you remember we can't relive them today. We can't live in the past, but the past can help guide our present. And I know this isn't every older saint in the church, but hear me out. You should be acting like spiritual parents and spiritual mentors to the younger generation in our church. Amen, Alex? Demonstrating God's faithfulness over your life demonstrating God's faithfulness over your marriage when you should be serving the call of God in your life in this season of your life. Instead, some older saints often act like the curator of a museum, protecting all the old stuff from fingerprints, putting signs up everywhere, don't touch, don't move. That plant can't move. Listen, the church is not a museum filled with artifacts. The church is a house with family members. And every now and then we got to change the paint in the house and redecorate. We need your experience, older saints. We need your experience. We need your faith as an example to the next generation's. We need those young people to hear acceptance and affirmation from you. Every now and then when you're walking by a young person, you need to bump them a little bit. You know what I mean? I know guys know what I mean. We beat, our ch- beat each other half to death, right? We see each other, we're like, what's up, man? What's up? What's up? Young people need that stuff. They may or may not be getting it from their fathers. They may or may not be getting it from other men in their family. But when young men come in my church, they better get it. I want young men in my church knowing that they're loved and appreciated as young men. And I want young ladies who walk into this church to know that they're loved and appreciated as young ladies in this church. I want them to know that they don't have to look a certain way or sound a certain way to be loved, to be accepted. I love what the father said to the son when Jesus was baptized. This is my son, whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. At this point, I hope that you've recognized the fact that John isn't referring to actual age groups. What he's referring to is spiritual maturity, not physical maturity. There may be some older people who are just children in the faith, and that's fine. There may be some younger people who are experienced, they've been walking with the Lord a long time and their faith is strong. They've seen some great things happen in the name of the Lord. The important thing is that we honestly assess where we are and we ask Jesus, not where do we go from here, but where do we grow from here? Some of you have never asked yourself that question. Some of you have never asked the Lord that question because in your mind, Christianity was your sins are forgiven and God is your father. And that's true for the children in the faith. But if you want to grow and mature, which is God's will for you, and you want to have the experiences, you've got to put in the work and after you've been with the Lord for years and you've had these experiences, you become a spiritual mentor. You become someone who is looked up to in the family of Christ as a spiritual parent, and that is an awesome privilege because I'm telling you, there's young people coming up, and they're getting married, and that honeymoon is wearing off, and they're going to need a brother or sister in Christ who is farther down the road than they are, to put their hand on their shoulder and say, don't quit. I've been there. Let me pray for you. Let me give you advice. Let me give you scriptural counsel. Let me encourage you. We can't do that. There's some guys who are in the young people department who are fighting good fights. They need the encouragement from us who have won battles from those of us who have seen the Lord deliver us from sin and from difficulty and challenge, they need to hear that encouragement, man. Every Sunday you elect not to attend church is a Sunday you reflect your unpreparedness to be a spiritual mentor. Every time something else takes the priority of what ought to be locked in in your spiritual life, you're showing a shift in priority, and you're passing that down to the younger generations. Can we count on you, spiritual parents? That's the question. Can we count on you? And for those of you who are in the fight, those of you who are in that stage, don't quit. This is what it's all about. And for those of you who are just infants in Christ, maybe a brand new Christian, maybe somebody who's here and has been here, hasn't even been baptized yet. It's awesome that you're here. It's wonderful that you're here. Keep growing. Don't stop. To close, let me remind you, the church is sometimes likened to a family. And God's family, like every other household, has people in it of different maturity levels. What maturity level are you at?